This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. A new Republican candidate has emerged in the 2024 presidential race. South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott announced his candidacy at a rally in North Charleston, South Carolina, taking shots at President Joe Biden while pushing a message of progressing conservative values. Victimhood or victory? Victory! Grievance or greatness? I choose freedom and hope and opportunity. Will you choose it with me? But in the nation's capital, negotiations continue as Congress and President Biden look to reach a deal on the debt ceiling before the June 1st deadline. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Republican strategist, co-founder of South and Hill Strategies, Colin Reed, Fox News contributor, national political correspondent for NPR, Mara Lyason, and Fox News radio political analyst, Josh Krashauer. Uh, Mara, this... Obviously, entrance of uh, Tim Scott is one thing, but now word that Governor Ron DeSantis will officially get in on Wednesday, 6 p.m., in a conversation with Elon Musk on Twitter. What do you think about the emerging GOP field? Yeah, I think it's getting crowded and really in a good way. There are going to be lots of choices. And even though Donald Trump seems pretty dominant in the polls, that's not uh, persuading people to stay out. You even hear Glenn Youngkin is reconsidering what we thought was a decision not to run. So I think it's going to be a really packed field with a lot of choices. Tim Scott is a really, really interesting um, candidate. Yes, African-Americans have run before in the Republican Party for the nomination, but he is an optimistic Reagan-like uh, candidate. And uh, he's got a lot of competition in his own state with Nikki Haley. Josh, uh, you know, it is getting crowded and most people will say the math just means that these non-Trump candidates take a little piece of the pie. That is the non-Trump candidate uh, to the advantage of former President Trump. But we have a long way to go. And, you know, we have some things that we may not be thinking about. We may have legal challenges for the president that pop up that are bigger than we think they might be. And uh, we have a, a long way to go, even till August, the first debate. Yeah, Brett, it is only May of, of the off year before the actual primaries and caucuses take place. Uh, and I think a lot of Republicans are almost expecting some turbulence for the former president, and, and they're positioning themselves in the field in hopes that uh, the current frontrunner, 
starts to have some problems as the campaigns actually get underway. Look, I think DeSantis is also the the big X factor, because when we talked about his campaign a few months ago, we thought he would be the elephant in the room, that he would launch this a whole bunch of legislative accomplishments in, in Florida as being the one conservative that could really dethrone Donald Trump. And right now he's at really a low point uh, in his uh, approval ratings in the national picture. Uh, he still is certainly formidable uh, and he has money. He has a lot of supporters and he has a record of success in Florida. But uh, the fact that you have folks from Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Chris Sununu possibly looking at this race, Glenn Youngkin reconsidering uh, is a sign that a lot of uh, these Republicans think DeSantis is vulnerable and there's room for uh, another more electable Republican if DeSantis does falter. So this is very uh, a very important moment for the Florida governor. It's also a little bit of an unconventional campaign launch. He's uh, not doing a big rally at first, instead going on Twitter to do a conversation with Elon Musk, uh, which is a very online uh, strategy. It may, may be successful, but I, I, I'm surprised that he's not going for the big rally in, in Florida with lots of adoring supporters uh, to, to kick off this presidential campaign. Why do it like that, Colin? Well, you know, I think he needs to get out there and he needs to do it in a way that really stops the conversation. And this is one way to do that. And all along, Governor DeSantis has had the immense pressure of the being the vessel for all the people who want someone else in the Republican Party aside from Donald Trump. And his support has gone up. It's gone down. He's had a stretch of, of the last few weeks. that hasn't been terrific. And I think he's determined he needs to get out there, have the infrastructure around him to support that. And now he can go tell that Florida story. And that 18 to 20 percent that he's getting nationally, that's been pretty consistent. But what I really watch, Brett, is those early state polls. Because one of these candidates is going to have a breakout moment in an early state poll. I, I hear from people in New Hampshire all the time who are impressed with Ambassador Haley, who have been impressed with Governor DeSantis, Senator Scott's in the race now. You've got a number of other folks looking at it. And while, the, while former President Trump is head and shoulders above the field in the national poll, keep an eye on those early state polls because someone's going to have a breakout moment who, who earns the right. And that's what's going to turn this race on its head. Well, there's just criticism of Governor DeSantis in, in some of those moves. You know, the, a lot of the focus has been uh, Florida is the state where woke goes to die, in his words, and the legislation that surrounds that um, and the back and forth with Disney that obviously created a lot of headlines. He's also signed a six-week abortion ban in the state that some people thought was a little too heavy-handed in an environment where a lot of states are going at 15 weeks or or 16, 14, 16. Um, And the other thing he did was on guns. He he just passed a a legislative bill, uh, signed it into law about concealed carry in Florida. So he's going almost to the right on some ways of Donald Trump. Yes, he's going to the right. And this is really interesting. His theory of the case is going to be tested. Uh, He hasn't talked much about that six-week ban when he leaves Florida and goes to some of these early states. He doesn't seem to talk about these far-right initiatives that he's passed, um, which raises the question, is this really a good idea, maybe for capturing the Trumpist right-wing base of the party, but you're going to have to appeal to some moderate voters, even in a primary? Uh, and independence. So this is going to be pretty interesting to see what happens as he goes forward. His theory of the case is that Republican voters want Trumpism without Trump or Trump Trumpism without the chaos. Uh, maybe what they want is the whole package in Donald Trump. He's taken a lot of criticism about his fight with Disney. Doesn't seem like a very conservative move to go after one corporation. 
especially for a free market conservative. But, um, you know, we're going to we're going to find out pretty soon if uh, he has the right theory of the case that these kind of far right uh, bills are going to capture the hearts of the Republican primary voter. And what captures, Josh, the hearts of of the voter overall? Does an 82-year-old versus a 78-year-old battling again four years later uh, capture that? Or does a generational shift kind of factor in to people's thought process here? Boy, I mean, we are in a collision course between two potential nominees that, frankly, voters uh, across the country have real hesitations towards. One, I think, more because of age in in President Biden, who would be 86 at the end of a possible second term, and hesitation over possible another possible nomination for former President Trump because of his temperament. Uh, And a lot of uh, voters overall, including, you know, a decent slice of Republicans, have real hesitation um, over electability and temperament and and what what a second term uh, of Trump would would bring to the country. But uh, look, DeSantis, I think that is how he really can get traction in this Republican nomination fight. Uh, he, He really hasn't gone directly after uh, the former president, even as Donald Trump has hit him relentlessly over the last few months over everything from entitlements to his personality. Uh, and there has to be an actual fight for, for the nomination. There's, you know, as, as long as DeSantis is content to let these attacks stick and go unresponded, uh, he's going to continue to languish in, in second place or, or, or worse. And the fight is going to have to be had. I think that August debate on Fox News is going to be a real, real fight and a real test for Trump's opposition because there is a you know, there is a hunger among even Republican voters that they, they may a lot of voters may like Trump, certainly support his policies. But there is a question of whether renominating Trump uh, could set up, set the Republican Party up and, uh, for, for some real challenges ahead. And Colin, the foreign pre- former president has threatened that he, he may not come to the August debate. He's said maybe there shouldn't be debates because he's so far up in the polls. But. When push comes to shove, we'll see. We're hosting that debate in Milwaukee, uh, that first debate. You know, it's it's a little bit like a backyard bug zapper, you know, that is just sitting there. And the flies maybe fly towards it as the light gets a little bit more intense. Um, I can't imagine that a campaigning Ron DeSantis and all the others would be given a free go at it without the former president engaging in some way come August. Especially with the abundance of riches of candidates we have on the Republican side this this time around. There's any number of qualified people. We've talked a lot about them uh, already. And so I, I think, look, this is the former President Trump's biggest challenge is he's got this lead. He's got this, this status he wants to maintain. But we have so many miles to cover. And politics, as we've learned, it does. it's not a stable thing. It's always changing. It's constantly moving. The former president has a number of things hanging over his head. Uh, and, and outside of the political arena, in the legal department, that could also potentially impact uh, what happens in the in, in politics. So, look, the 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 whoever emerges from the Republican side is going to be head and shoulders the clear favorite to run and win against a guy, an 82 year old guy who's going to be 86 at the end of a second term, who no less no few no less luminaries than Hillary Clinton are actively pointing out his age is a big problem. So. The Republicans have a long-spirited primary ahead of them, as we always do. Whoever comes out of that will be the clear favorite. Uh, whoever that person is, that remains to be seen. But there's plenty of good names to go around, and this field's going to change a lot between now and then. Yeah, Mara mentioned Glenn Youngkin. There are a couple of ads already uh, that reflect back to Ronald Reagan, and they don't seem to really focus on the state Senate battle in Virginia. 
uh, which is what he <laughs> says he's raising money for. Panel, we'll hold it right there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Mara, meantime, the battle over the debt ceiling and the budget talks uh, continues. It seems like they're going to get there. It always seems like they're far apart and the cliff is hanging, but they get there. There could be a time, though, well, when Chicken Little, the sky does fall. Yeah, you know, historical rules only work till they stop working. And everybody thinks since they've always avoided disaster in the past that a lot of this is just performative and they're going to get there this time. Well, maybe not. Uh, you've got a different Republican House this time. There are a lot of Republicans who've said publicly, including Donald Trump, that maybe default isn't so terrible. Go ahead and default. Maybe it's just a bunch of fake news from the elites about how bad it would be if we did default. And there there doesn't seem to be a face-saving off-ramp in sight yet. Although, if they could just figure out spending caps and some kind of cuts in spending that, that, that enough Democrats could accept, uh, maybe they could get this done. One of the questions I have is, what can Speaker McCarthy pass through the House that wouldn't, in the end, weaken him so much that it would cost him his speakership. And I don't know exactly what that is, but he can only rely on so many Democrats before he looks like a very weak speaker. Right. And Josh, that's the question. I mean, when you only have a very short margin um, for speakership, you you have to be careful. What, you know, if you're going to pass something with all Democrats, uh, that's not a good look to your leader, to your caucus. So that's true, though. I've been pleasantly uh, surprised by uh, Speaker McCarthy's performance in these first uh, few months, uh, especially considering that narrow margin he won and that lit long night being elected Speaker in the first place. I mean, he's he first of all, he passed uh, a House bill that, that cut spending and raised the debt ceiling at a time when a lot of skeptics were thinking that the, the, the far right would scuttle any opportunity for uh, him to unite the, the the party on on some kind of compromise and he's put the democrats on the defensive on everything from border security to to crime to, to spending writ large I, you know i think that um I, I would not be surprised if there is some compromise and it's keep in mind but the president said he would not be negotiating at all a few weeks ago with republicans in the house and, and it turns out that he's willing to play ball and he's willing to at least have the, the, these discussions many on the left think that are quite favorable to to, to the conservative caucus so I, you know I, I think there's a lot of game to be played it does seem like these these compromises end up coming to fruition at the very last minute but look i i think mccarthy has done a lot more than expectations expectations dictated he would have and we he may end up getting a, a deal that that actually turns out somewhat favorable for the conservatives yeah what do you think Colin? it seems to me that the house republicans are the only entity in washington who have passed a bill that would uh, lift the debt ceiling and not have not revert to fault and yet it's all falling back on their doorstep the, the white house's strategy has been threefold one refuse to negotiate, two, refuse to entertain any serious cuts of spending, and three, wait for Kevin McCarthy to implode in his own caucus. As Josh alluded to, two of those things have not come true. McCarthy passed a bill, uh, Biden has been forced back to the negotiating table, and now it's on him to, he's, the White House has refused to have any sort of discussion about 
what could be cut and where should be cut. And remember, this House Republican majority was elected. Those who were elected in, in an otherwise disappointing year were elected with promises to reduce inflation. That was far and away the number one concern of voters. And that's what they're, the mandate they were given. That's the mandate they're going to execute. And in divided government, you don't get everything you want. And at some point, the White House has got to realize if they wanted to pass a clean debt ceiling, they probably should have done it a couple of years ago when they had full control of government. They didn't. And here we are. Yeah, the politics of this are messy, Mara. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. it does, it does well, seem like Republicans have a little bit more leverage than they've ever, ever had. Yeah, well, you know, the, the easiest hot take on the politics of this is the president gets blamed for anything bad that happens in the economy. And if we have a default with all of the terrible consequences that would happen after that, inflation, a recession, unemployment, people not getting their Social Security checks, he's going to get blamed for that. He even said the other day in Japan, Republicans want to default because they think it would hurt me. But I have a feeling that everybody would be blamed if it came to that. And, you know, right now, both sides have an interest in looking like they're willing to compromise, but they also have to prove to their bases that they're not going to compromise too much. And you've got a speaker who I agree, he's been a lot stronger and more adept than people thought he would be, but he's still very, very weak because he has such a tiny margin. And uh, the president doesn't have a large lot of cards to play either. So it's hard to see how exactly this this comes out. Maybe we're waiting for Mitch McConnell to rescue it. Yeah, maybe as so. he has in the past. Yeah, he said, "Keep me out of it." It's between uh, right. President Biden and <laughs> Speaker now, McCarthy. For now, that's what he wants to do. Yeah. Can we go backwards and and explain, Josh, what is going on with Jen, Glenn Youngkin on these ads? He's just out with another one. That uh, Virginians elected us to deliver on a vision. We've lowered the cost of living, empowered parents, restored excellence in education, raised teacher pay, protected the fundamental rights of parents because they matter. In this ad that it does look like a shining city on a hill, another ad, second in a row, uh, there's no structure as of yet to support a presidential race, but it boy sounds like a presidential race. Yeah, boy, I think Glenn Youngkin looks at himself in the mirror and sees a, a presidential candidate potentially, and and that's he's not he's keeping hope alive. Uh, but I think like the circumstances of this presidential race is what Youngkin sees uh, an opening for the, in the fact that Trump has legal challenges. DeSantis has underwhelmed these first few months. You have a lot of other candidates that haven't really proved their mettle on the national stage. And one thing that Governor Youngkin has is uh, a winning record in a blue state. And lots of money, uh, personal wealth that could allow him to, you know, have a good November, maybe for the Virginia legislature read, and then, you know, spend a lot of money to build a staff and prepare for uh, the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primaries. I, I will caution, though, that the track record of late entering presidential candidates as recently as, you know, 2020, when Mike Bloomberg jumped in and he just skip the Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, it's not very good, even with candidates that have uh, solid political profiles. Fred Thompson tried to do the same back in 2008. It's just a really, really tough, tough uh, path to, to making a comeback. This is a very unusual presidential primary uh, in that you have a former president and you have a lot of other candidates with varying degrees of political success. But it, it is going to be a, I think Youngkin wants to keep himself in the mix and, and you know, be an option if, if everyone looks pretty weak by the time the end of the year rolls around. But boy, I, I think it's going to be a big challenge for him to win the nomination. Yeah, but as he can't run for re-election, so why not? Right. But but paint the picture for me, Colin. How does this work? Does he get called in from the bench to go with the right-hander? I mean, what is what happens here? DeSantis falters? 
Well, Governor uh, Governor Yunkin is someone who's going to have no trouble raising financial resources. He's long been a favorite of the donor class. He's someone who comes from their world. He enjoyed success in the private sector, and that's someone who tends to gravitate more uh, toward these uh, high wealth individuals who have also uh, come from that 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 world. And I would say this: there are three numbers I suspect Governor Yunkin is looking at. One, he's running against a potentially an 82-year-old incumbent with a 36% approval rating and 82% of Americans think the country is in the wrong track. If it's not now, uh, politics, as we've learned, is all about timing. If not now, it may never be never, and that might be the, the calculation he's making and coming out of a blue state like Virginia with a record he had, he's had. He'll be formidable should he decide to get in. But you think he gets in? Well, I, I don't know, but I suspect that he regrets whatever the media narrative came out shutting the door. He had a bit of a Sherman-esque statement a few weeks ago, which is why we're having this entire conversation. So uh, it's a good it's a good rule of thumb to not let these uh, decisions come out until you've actually made them because it makes it harder to walk them back. Yeah. Josh, you agree? I heard that the Yunkin team was up. He was out at the Milken conference in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, and he, he had basically said he wasn't going to announce a run for president this year. I think it was a sort of a clever way of saying maybe he'll run next year when the actual election would take place. Yeah, January and, 2nd. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and the reporting was that he wasn't going to run for president. And, and he, I think this is maybe his effort or his campaign or his operations effort to walk that back and make sure it's clear that he still is leaving that option open. Yeah. Mara? Yeah, I think he probably thought it was the way that those remarks were interpreted was really shutting the door and he wants to keep it open a crack. And finally, uh, you've got the former president who is now, you know, full on campaign mode. Um, what is his M.O.? I mean, he just keeps on hitting DeSantis and his nearest competitor, Mara, or yeah. bounces around, bobs and weaves he... from legal issues. Well, the big question is, what is the cumulative effect of all of his legal issues? We've seen now he's had two and both of them seem to have strengthened him. They've helped him raise money. They've helped him get uh, energize his base. It's forced every other candidate to come to his defense. Um, and the question is, if there are many more indictments for more serious charges, does that start to weigh on him? We don't know. But right now, you know, his lead is pretty formidable. He's kind of an insurgent and an incumbent at the same time. He's got you know, he's an insurgent because he's such an anti-establishment candidate and persona, but also he's got a lot of trappings of incumbency. You know, he his supporters control a lot of these state parties. That's why there are more winner-take-all Republican primaries this time than there were last time. That makes it much easier for him to win delegates, even with a minority of votes, if the anti-Trump vote is split among all these other candidates we've just been talking about. And Colin, the Durham report, while not getting a lot of coverage in other places and venues, um, does paint a picture how he was wrongly accused of being an asset for Russia and a Russian spy, and that a lot of that was stirred up by the Hillary Clinton campaign for all of the time that he took to Twitter and elsewhere saying that he was a victim of this. There is some evidence to suggest he was. I view that as more blessing and a curse politically because it certainly validated a lot of the claims of him and his supporters over the years, but it also took us back in time to 2017, 2018, all over again. And it just reopened, reopened up a, a past a relitigation of old wounds. And that, I think, is the former president's biggest political liability is whether or not he can refocus the grievance politics, the the frustrations into the into the the, the, the his what his uh, vo potential voters are feeling as opposed to just a rehash of 2020. 
Uh, rehashing 2020 did not work for Republican candidates up and down the ballot in 2022. And those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. So that's his biggest challenge, Brett, in my eyes, is he's got to be able to articulate what he did in 2016, which is channel that energy of what his voters are feeling into a vision for the future and not just be stuck looking in the in the rearview mirror. Uh, final thing, Josh, uh, and this goes back to where we started, which was Ron DeSantis launching his presidential bid with Elon Musk in a Twitter Q&A uh, Wednesday evening. Byron York, our colleague, said, bad idea for a candidate to be too closely associated with Musk. He's a genius, done great things with rockets, cars, interesting stuff with Twitter, but he's a billionaire with changing interests and money to do whatever he wants. In Musk-centered universe, candidates need loyalty. What do you think of that? I think Byron is right, and I also think there's a risk by associating uh, too closely with the you know, online right. Uh, which which Musk certainly represents, and uh, David Sachs, I, I believe he's going to be the moderator at, at this uh, Twitter event. Uh, he certainly is someone who uh, is also a DeSantis supporter, but but has also made some controversial or at least statements about foreign policy that that could uh, put put DeSantis in a little bit of a political hotspot. So look, I, I always remember 2020 where. Democrats were cautioned not to be too online, not, not to listen to all these left-wing voices that were prominent on Twitter but really didn't represent much of the party too far to the left, folks. And that's how Biden was able to win the nomination by kind of sticking to the, the normal voter in the middle of the Democratic electorate. And I think there's a worry in, in, in the DeSantis camp that he's too uh, enmeshed with the online right and, and a little too too connected to some of these right-wing voices on Twitter and not listening to a lot of these these grassroots uh, voters within the Republican Party. All right, panel, thank you. Now for a bit of history. On May 23rd, 1934, notorious bank robbers Bonnie and Clyde were ambushed and killed by police in Bienville Parish, Louisiana. The death of the infamous criminals ended a two-year run of robberies and murders that spanned across the United States. The legend of Bonnie and Clyde captivated the nation during the Great Depression, and the duo would be portrayed dozens of times over the years in film and television, most notably the 1967 film Bonnie and Clyde, starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Colin, Mara, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.